Hey friends, welcome to the Redeemer Queen's Park podcast. Redeemer exists to help connect Jesus to people, people to community and community to mission. We're gathering on Saturdays at 3pm to worship God and fellowship. If you ever have any questions or if we could be of help in any way at all, then please give us a shout at hello at redeemerqp.com. We hope you'll be encouraged as you hear another one of our Bible talks. Let's listen to the next episode. Have you ever had that feeling of uh, shortness of breath? It could come from, uh, it come from many different places. Uh, maybe exercise brings shortness of breath. Uh, maybe you're around that special someone, you get shortness of breath. You're heading into an anxious situation. You have that feeling of shortness of breath. It's like, I just can't go... You know, like I'm, I'm not using all my capacity. There, there's more there. There's more that I could go into and access. But for whatever reason, the dynamic that I'm a part of, I just can't totally fill it, fill it out. It's possible that for some of us, many of us, we are kind of like uh, in our relationship with God. It's as if we have a, a shortness of breath. There's a full lung capacity that's available to us. There's the ability to take some. <gasps> glad you can't smell my tea breath right now. Like um, there's, there's, there's so much capacity that's available, but for one reason or another, we might be walking around on shortness of breath. Um, interestingly, this really what Ezekiel's talking about here, not just having shortness of breath, but having an absence of breath. And uh, we're entering into a season in the Redeemer community, specifically attempting to connect with the Holy Spirit. Uh, the Christian God is one God in three persons. He's Father, He's Son, and He's Holy Spirit. And how we even organize our teachings here at Redeemer is we spend the autumn season ultimately considering God the Father, like the concept, the fact, the possibility of God. And then we, when the, when the angels start hanging over Regent Street, like we move there as well. In the Christmas season with Advent, we start focusing on Jesus Christ, the Son, and we sit with the Son. And we just did this over the last couple of months. You just kind of stay with Jesus, go over to the cross, the resurrection. And now we enter a season as a church family of just thinking like, man, that's the Father, that's the Son. Who's the Holy Spirit? What does it mean to know God, the Holy Spirit? Uh, different faith backgrounds and traditions, streams are all around this room. Some of us come from uh, ways of understanding God where the Spirit is really emphasized and we have a great deal of knowledge and awareness about the Holy Spirit. Um, others of you, uh, you might be more like me, you kind of come from a background and tradition where uh, the way you came to know God was, was Father, Son, and Holy Scripture. You know, it's like, wait, hold on, there's, a, there's something else here? And for, for one reason or another, it was just minimized or not emphasized enough. But what would it be like to know God where we, we knew him in, in the full capacity. I imagine if it's anything like shortness of breath, we might even find some relief, some help, um, some extra resource that we haven't been tapping into yet. So here we are, a season of connecting with the Holy Spirit. And I just want to enter us in with like some very wide angle, broad range ideas. And we're going to kind of make our way over here. We're going to see what Ezekiel is talking about as well. But first thing, notice this. The Bible talks about God's redeeming work his redeeming love in three distinct stages, okay? This is, this is what God's done in the world. Like it fits into three different stages. There's this time when redemption was anticipated, right? Adam and Eve, 
knew God, walked with God in the cool of the day in the garden. They perfectly had his presence. They were with God because of sin. The relationship with God's ruptured. And now we're in this time. We're just anticipating when is God going to make things right? And when we're thinking about the redemption of God being anticipated, this is from Genesis to Malachi. And what we learn about the Holy Spirit in that part of the Bible is the Spirit is with Israel. So he's not, he's not totally in, but he, he's amongst them. You see him kind of coming and going for different reasons. Then you have this different phase, redemption accomplished, where you see the Holy Spirit of God was on Jesus Christ in his ministry. When Jesus was baptized, we learned about this in Matthew chapter 3, tells us when he came up out of the water, the Spirit descended like a dove. So there's something kind of soft and gentle about how the person of the Spirit came down and rested on Jesus and empowered Jesus for his ministry and mission on the earth. You learn about this in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And now, the part of the Bible that we're still a part of, redemption applied. This is from Acts to Revelation. This is where the Spirit is in the church. Not just with us, though, like one, of, one or two of us might be carrying today. Like, no, 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 like, no, he's, he's in us in a very real way. So let's, let's double tap on that first one and go a little deeper into it. We'll get to the other two in a week's time. Redemption anticipated, the Spirit with Israel. Think about what was going on from Genesis to Malachi. In the Old Testament, the Holy Spirit was only temporarily present. Kind of read the Old, Old Testament, just studying. Where's the Holy Spirit? Where's the Holy Spirit? Where's the Holy Spirit? You kind of see him coming and going from different situations for different reasons. Examples of this, 1 Samuel 16, 14, Psalm 51, 11. This is because in the Old Testament, in this time, the Holy Spirit was an unfulfilled promise. It's an incomplete promise. It's a promise that was made, but you're waiting for the payoff. You're waiting for it to be fulfilled. God had not yet fully given His Spirit, like we get a picture of what that would be like in Ezekiel 36, 26, in the sense that He would eventually pour out His Spirit in Acts chapter 1, verse 8. So the Spirit is not fully experienced in the Old Testament, yet He's at work. And what kind of work does He do? Just a few things, and you'll find yourself in Ezekiel. The Spirit enables the work of God throughout the Old Testament. Like, what is the Holy Spirit doing in the Old Testament? He's empowering God's people to lead. See this in Numbers 11. He equips God's people with skills. People weren't good at things in the Old Testament. People just weren't good at things. They didn't have the capacity to lead in a certain way. And the Old Testament tells us the story in part of the Holy Spirit coming on a person and they have new skills. They have new capacities they did not have before they had the Spirit. He enables God's people for victory. So there's like wars that God's people were supposed to go out there and fight and they, they, they would not have won if the Spirit was not with them. And he encourages God's people to persevere. Tired, weary, shattered, worn out people. And the Spirit is there encouraging them. Come on, you're going to get through. You're going to get through. You're going to get through. Holy Spirit in the Old Testament. So let's begin this course of study, exploring and connecting with the Holy Spirit for the next couple of weeks, thinking in the broadest terms possible. What is God doing, right? What is God's plan? It's Holy Spirit season here at Redeemer. Like, we're just, what, what is God doing in this? Where, where, what is God's big purpose? I think this is helpful for framing up a study of the Holy Spirit, um, if, especially if you're on one of the extremes. Um, two extreme ways you can handle the Holy Spirit. For some of us, we just obsess about Him. Like, you don't know a trinity with the Father and the Son. Like, all you see is Holy Spirit everywhere. Do well to tune into God's plan. But for others of us, maybe coming from a place like I came from, whatever your tradition, you kind of, yeah, there's the Father, 
There's the Son. I don't quite know what to do with the Holy Spirit. Don't understand the Spirit. No one's really explained the Holy Spirit to me. We kind of a little distant. Man, we would do well to tune into Ezekiel 36. It's an equalizer text. We're all going to find ourselves being met by God in the midst of this. So let's get into Ezekiel a little bit. Ezekiel in context, right? Think about it. Ezekiel was a priest who's called to be a prophet. Long story short, this guy Ezekiel is essentially the pastor of God's people at the time. Uh, his entire community, though, uh, they, they didn't have the freedoms that we enjoyed all morning. Um, they didn't get to wake up in beds of their choosing. They didn't get to hang out with who they wanted to hang out with. They didn't get to pick their coffee, freely travel around town. They lived in exile. So Ezekiel is pastor to a group of people that are imprisoned. They've been taken captive. They live in a land that's foreign. There's, there's no city. There's no temple. They, they knew a, a very hard, hard life. And God's promising, I'm going to take care of you. Now, the promises that we read about in Ezekiel 36 and 37, they were partially fulfilled in the time, like in the time, like within a few centuries of when they were given. And they were partially fulfilled today. So in the immediate context, if you have your Bible open, I'd encourage you just to turn a few pages. I want to show you a few things about this story. At this point in the anticipation of redemption, uh, you could look over at chapter four, uh, 34. And as you're looking at chapter 34 right here, we see God promised to bring Israel out of anarchy. So you might be thinking like, I don't know, man, like we're over here in London. The sun is trying to come out today. It's 2023, like summer's right around the corner. Ezekiel, like I'm, I got real problems. Like what's going on? No, no, no. We're beholding the character and the heart of God towards humanity, and we're letting his character and his heart give us some sort of hope and encouragement for where we can find ourselves today because Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. And how God was to these people back then is, is still his heart towards humanity today. So look at, look at chapter 34. Just let your eyeballs like roll across the text. God promised to bring them out of anarchy. Then look in chapter 35 to 36, God promised to bring them into some land. He was actually going to give them a place to settle them down. And then in chapter 37, what Christine read for us, and we'll find ourselves in just a few minutes, he promised to bring his people up from the grave. And then in chapter 37, verses 15 to 28, you see it right there. He's going to bring his people together, and he's going to bring a together people out of brokenness. Look at the heart of God, delivering from anarchy, settling people down, resurrecting souls from the grave, bringing a group of people together, leading them out of brokenness. And that's exactly what they needed because they were a broken and battered people in every conceivable way. They knew political, economic, agricultural, social, judicial, religious, personal, relational, and spiritual dimensions to their sin and sufferings. They needed help. They didn't just need like, I just need a little God boost in my life. They needed like a total redo. They needed a total overhaul. And God intended to tackle every aspect of their need. That's the breadth and the depth of the gospel. God cares about all of it. That's why you see God making promises for what he's going to do with their hearts and their souls. And he's also making promises for how he's going to take care of their physical needs as well. Depth of gospel, breadth of gospel. God cares about the whole thing. So I, wanna, I, wanna, I just want to direct your attention to this God, right? 
I think if we look at this God, we'll hear, from, we'll hear some things that will be helpful for us on the spot this afternoon. Uh, just three things about this God. Uh, first heading is this. As we look at this, you can know God saves His people by His grace and for His glory. From, Revelation, from Genesis to Revelation, God's always been about this one purpose. He's revealing a group of people to be a special prized possession who He's going to reveal His glory to, He's going to attach His name to, and He's going to express Himself through that group of people to the world around Him. That is what God had done with this people called Israel, as we're reading about them right here. God had attached His name to them. God has said, you're going to be my special people. You're going to be my prized possession. The world is going to come to know me, not by me writing it in the sky, not by me writing a book and just handing it out. The world is going to come to know me through you. That's the understanding. And the people of Israel, they have a job or they have a vocation. Not all of them are pastors and preachers. Not all of them are evangelists. They, they had a job as they, as they made pots, as they made shoes, as they made clothes, as they made food, as they farmed the land, as they conducted all of their life, they had a job. It's in every dimension of reality that God placed them. They were to be a light to the nations. As they're running a business, they're a light to the nations around them. As they're meeting someone for the first time, they're a light to the nations. As they're cooking food, they're a light to the nations. And Israel struggled in their job, and they actually failed in their job. Sin broke the relationship with God, and it was a problem with God. But I want you to think about this. Their sin, Israel's sin, was a problem for them, and it was a problem for God. Because God had made a promise. I am going to make sure the world knows who I am, and I'm going to do it through you. So sin isn't just a problem for people. Sin's a problem for God. Because God's trying to express Himself through a group of people that are constantly getting banged up in sin. And God promises a whole host of things. We're just going to look at them right now together. As we, as we look across this, we can think about our own sin and our own brokenness. I know it can be a bit heavy at times to go there, but we do need to look at it. Like The deeper we go in seeing this and identifying with this, the, the higher we'll be able to be sprung back up by God. Two questions we ask as we read this passage and we think about our lives. You let your eyes pour over Ezekiel 36 asking, how have we been saved and why have we been saved? So check it out. You just need to look at the book with me, okay? Verse 22, say to the house of Israel, it's not for your sake that I'm about to act, but it's for the sake of my holy name, which you've profaned among the nations. Look at God's motive for activity. He, he specifically says, it's not for your sake, but for my sake. Now, Praise God, what God wanted to do in the lives of Israel actually turned out for their benefit, but that's not the primary intent that God's going to roll. Verse 23, he says, I will vindicate the holiness of my great name. Verse 24, I will take you from the nations. Verse 25, I will sprinkle clean water on you, and from your idols I will cleanse you. And that's an important one, what you see in verse 25. Um, sins are a problem. What's well, a real problem problem or idols? Idols are deep heart affections. There's these different things that we're tempted to set up in our, in our hearts that we're going to look to and we're going to honor instead of God. And God says, I'm not even going to take care of the sins, those surface things. I'm going to take care of those, those different people and places and ideas that you're tempted to find your identity in. I'm going to fix that too. The total overhaul is what's being promised. He says in verse 26, I will give you a new heart and a new spirit I will put within you. 
and I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh, and I will give you a heart of flesh. Verse 27, yes, entering into the study on the Holy Spirit. This is part of what we're looking at. Verse 27, and I will put my spirit within you. Look at God promising a group of people who are far from him, who are disobeying him, who are returning from him. Look at the gracious heart of God in verse 27. I will put my spirit in you. The end of verse 28, I will be your God. It's honestly my favorite phrase in the whole chapter. God looking at a group of people who are far from him, constantly running away from him, constantly saying, forget you, constantly saying, I don't want to do anything with you. And Ezekiel 36, 28, God looks at them and says, I will be your God. Verse 29 says, I will deliver you from all your uncleannesses. What a word. And I'll summon the grain and I'll make it abundant. No famine will lay upon you. That's the breadth and depth of the gospel. He's like, I'm going to fix your heart and I'm going to fix your whole situation. Look at the all-encompassing care of God. Verse 30, I will make the fruit tree increase and the field abundant. Verse 32 sums the whole thing up. I will act is what God says. That's a lot of details, so step back and kind of get this big idea with me. 13 times in 11 verses of Scripture, God says, I will do this. Christian, you serve a God that looks at us, and yes, we have agency. Yes, we have some freedom. Yes, we're held genuinely accountable for our actions. And yet, look at the heart of this God who says, I'm going to work in your life, and I'm going to work in your situation where this will surely take place. If you're here today, and you don't have this God as your God, you're worshiping someone or something else, He stands available. He stands open. Part of the reason you even made your way in here is to, is to hear this and to claim Him as your own. Seventy times, seven zero times in the whole book of Ezekiel, God says, the nations will know that I am the Lord. Seventy times in one book of Scripture, He promises us this. I know we're just making our way through life here in London. We need some sort of uh, mission or goal to really drive and focus all this energy, don't we? Otherwise, we'll just kind of go with the flow. We'll get up and we'll kind of flow to the tube like everybody else and ride on the tube like everyone else and go to work like everyone else and eat a sandwich like everyone else. We'll just, we'll just, we'll just flow. We'll just drift. Look at the heart of God, though. God has a heart for people who do not know Him to come to know Him. And God is saying, I am committed to this project. And He's saying this to a group of people that He's promised to bless them and to change them and to reform their life entirely. And He's saying, I'm going to work through you, Lot, to make sure the nations know who I am. What, what, a, what, a, what a bigger goal to kind of attach your life to, yeah? Like as you go with your job, as you go as a nurse, as you go as a student, as you go as an executive, as you go as a parent, what a, what a, what a title to be plugged into. God, God is on a mission. He will make sure the nations know who He is and what He's up to. And I am a part of that as I go in this specific domain of reality. It's beautiful. God saves people. Leads us over to Ephesians 2.8. You see, it depends on God, for it's by grace you've been saved through faith. And this is not of yourselves, it's the gift of God. Notice the passive voice in Ezekiel 36 and in Ephesians 2.8. You have been saved. Not like you, you got yourself saved. No, you have been saved. It's something that happened to you. 
You're just kind of going. He says, I got you. For people living in exile, living with their backs turned to God, God says, you're going you're gonna to be all right because I'm going to be with you. Look at the saving love of God. Salvation is something then that happens to us from the outside. And look, we're not going to explore the full spectrum of theology from the divine sovereignty on one side, the human responsibility on the other. There, there's no amount of theology to solve for the divine mystery of the Bible saying this, this is a work of God. And then it says we must trust in Jesus by faith as well. So what happened here? Well, I just want you to think about the context of Ezekiel just a little bit more. God sent his people into exile because their sin broke the relationship between God and his people. But that presented another problem for God. While his people were receiving just discipline like, the, like they would from a loving parent who's just pursuing the well-being of the child. It's like you can't act like this all the time. Like it's not going to work for you when you grow up. The father has a disciplining love of his people. He's like exile for you for now. But that presented a problem. The nations around Israel, they started making fun of God. Oh, Yahweh, look at his people. They just got captured and they're just taken off to the camps over here. Some big God, huh? Look at you, God. You're nothing. So then God makes a series of promises here. When his, when his nation was in exile, the nations around start doubting God's greatness. God responds. He says, I'm going to get you out of exile. I'm going to clean you up entirely. I'm going to bless your life in such a way where the people living around will know there's something different about you. You're distinct. It's very different than we how, how we tend to think about God, though. Oh, he's just mad at me. He's after me. No, like look at God in Ezekiel 36 and 37. He has, he has a character-proving mission among the nations. And how He's going to work it out is caring for His people. So look how He cares for them. The second thing, God strengthens His people. He, how does He strengthen them? He gives them a new heart and He gives them a new spirit. Right after He tells His people, look, I'm concerned for my honor. I'm concerned for my glory. You get chapter 36, verses 25 to 27. He says, look, I'm going to give you a new heart. I'm going to give you a new spirit. I'm going to make it possible for you to not to only want to obey me, but to actually obey me. So God creates, God saves, God strengthens so that we can be a light to the nation, so we can show God up to the world around us. And how will God do this? Like that, that, that might just sound foreign to us. It's like, what in the world does it even mean? Like, how is he going to, how is he going to show himself to the nations? This is how God's going to show himself to the nations. Look at a few of these phrases. This is God's means to that end. God's going to gather up a group of people into his arms. He's going to attach his name to them. And God is going to clean them from all their uncleannesses. That's how God gets glory among the nations. He takes a group of people and he says, look, from all of your idols, I'm going to cleanse you. He says, I'm going to give you a new spirit. I will put my spirit within you. So the promise going all the way back to the Garden of Eden is going to be fulfilled. God will dwell with his people. And we who are not anticipating this, but we're living in the accomplishment and fulfillment of this. This means the spirit of the living God is in the people who trust in him right now. And that leads us to consider are we knowing him in the fullness of what's available? Or are we just kind of working on a, a shortness of breath sort of relationship? 
He says, I'll give you a new heart. I'll put my spirit within you and I will cause you in such a way where you will walk in my statutes. What hope for us this afternoon if we're feeling the, we're just feeling the rut, the absolute stuck in the rut feeling of not being able to break through from a particular addiction or to get out of a specific sin problem. Look at the redeeming love of God. He says, I'm going to put my spirit in you and I will work in your life in such a way that I will make you obey my statutes. Jeremiah prophesied that God's law would be written on hearts. And we who live in the fulfillment of this, we have God's law written on our hearts. You have a new heart. You have a new wanter. <laughs> and you have the Spirit of God inside of you. God's creating a people. He indeed is. To be His representatives in all, in all, in all throughout the earth. And what's amazing about this is how you go from being on the outside of this to the inside of this, Jesus tells us. Luke chapter 24, verses 45 to 49. Jesus says repentance and forgiveness will be proclaimed to all the nations starting in Jerusalem. And then the resurrected Jesus Christ, he stands in Jerusalem and he says the nations will know. And then in Acts chapter 1 verse 8, think about it. Ezekiel 36, a new covenant is being promised. In Acts, a new covenant is being experienced. In Ezekiel 36, you have promise. And in Acts chapter 1 and Acts chapter 2, you have fulfillment. You see Jesus and the Father pouring out the Spirit on the church. We'll be there in just a few weeks' time. And you see people being saved by the grace of God, being given the heart of God, being filled with the Spirit of God. And the outworking of all of this is people glorify God. God's unfolding this. And God is obviously not done with this because we're still here. You ever wonder, why don't He just save somebody and just bring them in? He saves us and He leaves us in this because this is the mission that we're a part of. This is the work that He has for us to do. So finally, just receive this. God then sends His people to the nations to proclaim His, to proclaim his Word by the power of His Spirit. It's what you see in chapter 37. God saves His people by grace for glory. God strengthens His people, new heart, new spirit. And now God sends His people. So then it would be no mistake that His church would exist in a place like London where God is gathering the nations of the earth here, where there's over 300 languages spoken in London, where London is 51% foreign-born immigrant, where there are 20 groups of people in London numbering 20,000 or more. The nations are here. His church is here. We are here. And we're being reminded and refreshed in our identity within this story. Oh, I can see it again. There's, there's God. Here's me. Here's us. And how does He do it? Well, He does it by the power of His Holy Spirit. Ezekiel 37 is an illustration of God bringing the dead to life. God's clearly speaking to a group of people who are in exile, and God is saying to them all throughout chapter 7, I am going to restore you. God brings Himself glory by creating a people, revealing glory to them, but He wants to reveal His glory through them to the ends of the earth. So God saves a people. And what you see in Ezekiel chapter 37, he's brought out to this valley of dry bones. It's, uh, if you'd be up for it, it's a way of kind of imagining London around you. And spiritually, it looks like people, I mean, physically with our eyes, it looks like people are doing fine, but it's also this idea that, no, people apart from the Spirit of God, like 
like a valley just of dried bones, and God leads him around. And there's something going on, on here with the context of Ezekiel. It's not the first time he's been in a valley, and this time he's in the valley is to really show up the saving work of God. And God's like, can these bones live? And Ezekiel's like, God, only you, only you know. I mean, this, this just looks hopeless. Maybe some of you look around London and you just think, man, this thing is just hopeless. I'm just going to kind of play for me. I'm going to play for keeps. I'm going to play it safe. This thing looks dead. Look at God leading his servant around. God makes these wild promises. And then you see it, just a few short words. So I prophesied. And the healing work of God comes through. And friend, God can do it and God wants to do it and God will do it through us again today. If we'd be willing, if we'd want God enough for this, how, do, how will the dead people around us come to life? How will the spiritually dead souls that we live around come to life? People will come to life when the servants of God are bold enough, when we grow desperate enough to step out and share the word of God, trusting in the spirit of God, to do all the work. Romans 10, 13 to 15. Everyone who calls on the name of the Lord, they're going to be saved, every single one of them. How are they going to call on Him in whom they have not believed? And how do they believe in Him in whom they have never heard? And how can they hear without someone preaching? And that's like proclaiming. It's like how are men and women going to proclaim unless they are sent? It's the promise of Ezekiel 37. God's saying, I'm going to form a people. I'm going to bring them from death to life. I'm going to totally reform their whole situation. I'm going to put my spirit inside of them. I'm going to send them among the nations and the nations will know that I am the Lord. Romans 8.11, Paul, a lot of people think Paul's just reading Ezekiel 37 and he brings this across for the church today. And if the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead is living in you, he who raised Christ from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies because of His Spirit who lives in you. Spirit living in you. I, don't, I have no idea where you are with the thought of that. The idea that the living God plants His living Spirit inside of you. Not in some like metaphorical sense, but like no, like the Spirit of God, the same one that brought Jesus out of a tomb, is resting in you. I have no idea like where you are with that. I guess we got a couple of weeks to figure it out. But let's just consider the big picture again. God's redeeming work in three stages. People spent time anticipating this. A few others got to live while it was actually being accomplished. And we live in the time of application and fulfillment. My friend, just trying to, trying to help you be grateful for what God's done in your life. Think about it. You live in the time and place that for centuries, men and women who worship the one true living God, they were born and they were sitting under a word and they were sitting under a promise. God, God loves us. He's for us. He's working in our lives, in our situation. And one day he will put his spirit in us. And children grew up believing that. They lived their entire adult lives and they died waiting to see that fulfilled. And that happened for centuries. And here we are living in the very midst of what they spent their whole life hoping for. 
I don't know how great and glamorous your life and your situation feels. Some of us feel like we're just barely scraping by, but my friend, consider this is the time and this is the season that God has chosen fit for you to live and be a part of his church and be a part of his mission in the world. It's amazing. So behold, the redeeming love of God. Think about this. God's plan for a shattered people, give them a place, land, give them political protection. In these few chapters of Scripture, He says, I'm going to give you dignity. I'm going to give you self-respect. He promises economic viability, just and competent leadership, religious and spiritual renewal, and practical unity. Promised from Ezekiel 34 to Ezekiel 38. I'm not, I'm not going to be one of those guys like saying, and this is exactly the thing that's going to happen in your life. No, I'm like, look at his heart and consider he's the same today. This is who he is. This is what he's like. This, this is the, these are the purposes he's proven up in the world. And then look, look how he does it. He gives his spirit for a lifeless people, a new heart and a new spirit, God's spirit living inside of his people, the result of which is a wholehearted transformation God's people then able to feel what God feels and think what God thinks. It's available. And Ben, come on up here. We're about to have some time to respond to this. At the center of it all stands Jesus Christ. Ezekiel gave us kind of a frame of reference for appreciating and understanding Jesus himself. The most significant echo of Ezekiel 37 is when Jesus, the resurrected Jesus, came and stood in the middle of a locked room on the other side of his resurrection and he said to a group of people, peace be with you as the father has sent me. So I am sending you. And then he breathes on them and he says, receive the Holy Spirit. Think about it. The Lord of life himself, freshly risen from the from the dead. He knew the place of dry bones. He adopts the similar posture of Ezekiel. He summons the breath of God. And he looks at his people, he breathes on them, and he says, receive this into your life. And we're a new church community. I mean, you could say we're brought from the four winds as well by the Spirit. I mean, we're coming from all over the place. But God is in the midst of this. And I'm really hoping pastorally, like my heart for you and for us in this season, is that we would have a season of receiving the Holy Spirit as he actually is not in the distortions that some of us know him by overemphasizing him or underemphasizing him. But could we just have a couple of weeks as a church family where we hear these words from Jesus, receive the Holy Spirit. And we open up our hearts and we open up our lives to God and say, God, I receive you in every part of me. Into every different drawer, into every different room. Here I am. I receive you. It's the invitation, receive the Holy Spirit. And the thing is, the Holy Spirit is at work right now in this room. It's nothing I have to conjure up. It's nothing I have to like make you think. I'm not trying to trick trick any of you. It's just the, the fact of the matter. The Holy Spirit of God that raised Jesus from the dead, that abides in God's people, is at work in the room right now. And we don't have to rush off. We can just sit and we can reflect and we can... Ask the question. There's Jesus offering peace, saying, receive the Spirit. You ask yourself, do I have peace? Do I have the Spirit? You can respond. Not now, in just a moment, there's going to be a few 
few friends gathered over here, they're here to pray for you. Whatever you have going on in your life, whatever's happening, Spirit of God's working on your life in a specific way right now. You don't have to just stand there and hope you'll figure it out this week. Just come over here. We'll chat. We pray. There's something specific you want prayer for. Come over here. We'll pray for that specific thing. Maybe you've lived a life overemphasizing the Spirit. You want to get right. Come over here. We'll pray for that. You've lived a life under underemphasizing the Spirit, not honoring Him, not acting like He's in the room, not acting like He's in your life. Well, come over here. We'll, we'll pray with you. Okay? We can, we can minister in this. It's the question. You know, the shortness of breath. You know, a feeling of I'm just not, not all the way there. Could it be for some of us, friends, that we are living a life, we are actually walking out a Christianity where we are alive, but it's being sustained by the shortness of breath? I'm not here to yell at you in this. I'm not here to come down on you. I'm just figuring these things out myself. But I'm just saying, like, what if there's so much more capacity that's available than some of us have been living up to? Not a shortness of breath when it comes to this thing, but a fullness. It was a just spend a moment praying over you and the time that we'd have right here to respond. I just want to ask a couple of questions in this room. And the questions are these. How do you need to respond? Are you shattered and do you need the redeeming love in some part of your life? You can pray for that. You can sing for that. You can come over here and receive prayer for that. Are you spiritually lifeless and need God's heart and God's spirit? One reason or another, you ended up in here today and you just know you're spiritually lifeless. You need this. You ask him for it. You come over here. Let us pray with you. Let us pray this in. Another question, are you living a grumpy life for God or are you living a grateful life from God? I'm asking. We look at this whole project as these drudgeries we got to go through or are we in that, that posture where we receive the whole thing as gift and we flow from that? Are you living a disconnected and powerless Christianity? Are you living a shortness of breath Christianity or a fullness of lung Christianity? Ezekiel shows us who God's like. He fully breathes life into his people. Do you need to receive the Holy Spirit? Yes, you've received him because you're converted. You received him because you have breath. Do you need to receive the fullness? Just have a moment to say to God in the quietness of a moment here. I think this is something I've been missing with you and I'm sorry. Ask him for the fullness. Is there someone around you is there a member of the nations that you live amongst, that you're going to work amongst in the next few days that you need to go to and you need to tell about the redeeming love of God? Because the Spirit isn't necessarily for us. It is, is to empower us to bring the news of God's love to the people around us. So let me invite you, go ahead and stand up. I want to pray for you. I want to pray for us. I want to pray for this next little stint in our journey together. We're going to have some time to sing. We're going to sing a song. Some people are going to pray and you'll be free to respond to God all across the room. Okay, let's expect that we can meet with God in the next few moments. Our Father in heaven, we thank you for the picture of your mission, your heart for the world. Father, we, we don't quite know what to do with the full import that you want to use people like us, clean us up, fix us up, and then move through us and work through us. That's big. We need you to help unpack that. So God, please help us. 
God, we want to know more about this spirit that you promised you would put in your people, that God has poured out on his church. God, we want to know more. So God, introduce us more fully to the Holy Spirit, we pray. And even in this moment, Father, we're coming to you in the name of Jesus. We just say, your spirit is welcome here. Your spirit is welcome in this room. Your spirit is welcome in our lives. We pray that you would come through. We see your great purpose in the book of Ezekiel. To be exalted, to be lifted up, to be named among the nations. We pray that you would help us to sing this as our prayer of commitment. God, meet with us, feed us, speak to us, reveal. Give us full breath, we pray in Jesus' name.